y'all this is whitney and welcome back to another episode of spastic chatter if you're new here spastic chatter is a platform meant to feature those in the cerebral community and i get together with individuals with cp like myself to have an uncensored chat if you will about what it's like living with this type of disability and i've i took a i took a break uh I think my last episode was it's in November, and I took a break, and I'm excited to be joined today by Ryan Honick, and he uh, he describes himself as a I I just blinked on I just blinked on what you said like on a on a uh I just remember, I just remember persuader we just went over that and it's all right. I, I just butchered it. So I will let Ryan introduce himself. Uh, and right, that... get on to the conversation. Well, uh, hey, Whitney, thanks for having me uh, on. It's great. I know that we we both, I think, took a little, little bit of a break uh, as the 2022 wound down. Uh, so we're both uh, jumping into 23 headfirst. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I like to describe myself a lot of ways, but uh, in all of my sort of advocacy work and things publicly i go by three different things um disability advocate speaker and i stole the next one from a former colleague of mine uh professional persuader which is just code for i talk a lot and try to try to bring people onto uh, you know my side of whatever the conversation is but that's what advocacy is for so but in fact that we you know sometimes get paid for it is the professional part <laughs> Yeah, I love I love that. That's that, that, that to me that's that's kind of uh, funny and like sarcastic and that's right up my alley. Um, uh, I usually start uh, these conversations off by like just give me like a little bit of um background about you, Ryan. Like how like um I know that they they say that uh, cerebral palsy is a childhood disability, but those ag- adults grow up to are those children grow up to be adults so how was your how was your childhood growing up like do like i always think that's a funny question because my childhood wasn't any different can you can you really can you relate to that or like can you i mean it's it's hard right because from a comparison standpoint what comparison do we have right my childhood compared to who right everybody's childhood has a little bit of some some unpredictability and some some things that we all have to to uh contend with and and learn from and grow so i don't think there's any there's no such thing in my mind as a normal childhood Uh, i think that's an overused idea um but certainly life with cp uh presented itself with some things to grapple with and of course i don't have a comparison point for what my what my personal journey would look like without cp because i don't get to live life in two different bodies um but you know it it meant a lot of surgeries from a very early age and it meant learning to find um my niche in a lot of ways that um my you know childhood friends had sports and um, you know, very common things, um, and activities and, and athletics, um, and, you know, climbing trees and things like that, things that would really hurt me at any point. Um, so I had to very quickly find 
what was going to be my outlet for things because it wasn't going to be focused on physical and athleticism and you know childhood you know norms if there is such a thing um so i I gravitated quickly towards things that made sense for me uh comedy and impressions and uh things that made me laugh and making other people laugh which actually ties into something i think that is fairly common in the disability community which is making non-disabled people feel comfortable right so there's this to me there's a parallel between that and you know so there was a point at which in my you know early early childhood right i'm going through all these surgeries and all these you know things that were you know not extremely normative and sort of seeing the adult response when they're when you're looking at a child who's going through various surgeries and and medical procedures there's often in my experience there was a discomfiture with what to do um from the standpoint of how to not necessarily how to interact but it it's jarring i think for for any adult as it would be particularly parents and family to, to see uh a young kid who you know by the time i'm five six seven years old i've been through 20 plus operations so hospital became sort of uh, a common place for me to be a lot of the time and, and that can create some discomfort from adults who don't necessarily know what the response should be um and i think that was indirectly my first experience with okay it's my job to bring the comfort to the scenario and how that manifested was looking at things like how can i break the tension by making somebody laugh right and that became quite a, a quintessential part of my personality or at least that's when that personality became um very apparent right um that's a long-winded answer to that question but there's a tie to something that i think we see a lot as disability advocates which you know as we get older there's still a lot of that management of discomfort for the non-disabled community um and how we choose to navigate that but for me in some indirect way even before my advocacy started that was imprinted on me kind of indirectly very early no i totally agree with you and uh i like how because i use i use like i use humor so i told i told you before this i'm, I'm a very sarcastic person and, and i use humor I use humor for like two different, uh, two different, two different reasons. If you catch me, one is to make one. If I really like you and like, like for environment or whatever, like, like, like just in general, I do it to make you feel comfortable. So like, you know, so like, so it's not awkward. Um, like, and, and so it's, so my disability is not awkward. I'll, I will joke about it. And then the other, the other reason. The other uh, way I use humor is to call people out. I, 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 I've, I've kind of my uh, twenty two, the year 2020, 2022 for me was all about making like funny TikToks and like like where I yeah. where I where I call where I call where I call people like I make jokes um, that are centered around my disability, but I'm calling. But I'm advocating and like sort of 
uh, calling people out at the same time, if that makes sense. That sounds, oh, that, yeah. That sounds bad. That sounds bad when I, when I, like, what I'm trying to describe it, but you, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm advocating, but I'm doing it in a funny way. Um, oh, and I think, and I think there's a part of, I know I can relate to that. There's a part of this where if I'm talking to, uh, you know, new people, you know, new friends or colleagues or whoever, um, I have to, you know, I will often reach for the humor where I can, but there's a moment where I've experienced people who don't know me well and their first reaction is, you know, well, it's usually one of two things. It's, am I allowed to laugh at this because you're making fun of it? Or they get really uncomfortable that I'm leaning into my own disability. And so they tell me not to do that to myself. Like, and so one of the most common ones that I, so that I can point to, and I think this is, you know, I've, I've seen this within, within the disability community is we often lean into our own disabilities and we make fun of ourselves a lot. Right. So I refer to my uh, disability placard as my broken kid card. And when I, when I just passively mention that to somebody who doesn't know me well, their mouth drops because they think that I'm actually, you know, it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm, uh, putting myself down in their eyes. And it's like, no, 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 I'm leaning into what I can't change. Uh, but it may, but it makes so many people uncomfortable. Exactly. And like, I'm, I, what just came to my mind is like, um, in college and like around my friends and stuff, my, my, my friends are like total, are like total assholes to me, but like in the best way possible. Um, and I can, like, uh, I, I can, I can, I can think of like two, two scenarios where, um, uh, where like, like, uh, my, my, uh, actually he was my cousin. He, or he's my cousin. Like he would, he would yell, he would yell at me. Like just some like random sarcastic thing, and like he would bring like, like sometimes he would bring like disability into the mix. But I knew that he was joking, but like other people didn't know he was. Oh, joking. they have no clue. They have absolutely yeah. no clue. Yeah. and it's it's really funny to watch. I'll give you a, a interesting mm, parallel to that. Um, one of my oldest friends. I'm really fortunate that I have a I have a couple of friends I've known for a long time. Um, and I've known I've known a couple of them. Uh, one in particular since I was five years old, um, and his name is Zach. And uh, Zach and I have been friends for so long. He's gotten to know me really, obviously, majority of my life. Um, and if we are out and we we don't see each other often now because we're on opposite sides of the country. But when we were growing up and in school and and uh, before we went off to college and from parts of the world, the country. Um, you know, we would often be out in public and I'm not always, uh, I didn't become a full-time wheelchair user until college. So oftentimes he and I would be out in public and, and I would lose my balance or something, or I, I lose my footing and I would fall. And he's known me long enough that he knows if I need him to stop, if I need him to do something as a result of that fall, uh, uh, I will tell him, I'm not shy about that. But he also knows in that same in that same vein, that if I fall and I don't say anything, that eventually I'll get up. 
And so what that often leads to is we'll be walking somewhere, I'll lose my footing and fall, and he'll keep walking. And to your point, you know, as you said, there are other people that don't grasp what that what that is. And what it looks like is my friend is being a complete asshole. No, he just knows exactly what our dyna- our dynamic is, and uh, we we go from there. Yeah, I think it's kind of like, so I think it's like uh, the so like what society sees is like perceives is like perceives us to be, and like if that if that makes sense, like yeah, like it's. But I I'd kind of I'd kind of like to switch up the conversation to Ryan. What do you what do you do? um for work and like how did you did you go to did you go to college like how how did you how do you uh tell me about that tell me about your like work history and like uh, your schooling and everything because i know you're really big i know you're uh you're kind of like a uh, big on linkedin and stuff and um i follow all your stuff about remote work so tell me a little bit about your employment history and all that stuff sure um so i you know, it's funny. I I don't know that I had in my brain at an early part of it, um, early part of my youth or anything, that I was going to be any kind of an advocate. Um, I I don't know many advocates who who start with that as their as their goal. I know people in disability who are whose focus is more hey here's a thing that's not working i'm angry about it and slowly that advocacy for some gets bigger um and in my case it got more public um but that is separate and distinct from what initially launched my love of of public relations and communication um, you know, went to school in, in, in DC, um, really got a handle on why I loved words and persuasion and trying to make, uh, change in various settings and environments and what causes that influence to happen or not and how to communicate effectively. The fact that I have a, uh, disability and a service dog, um, I ended up kind of indirectly taking all those skills and putting them together, you know, in pieces. I don't think I was as big of an advocate, frankly, until I got matched with Pico. And that was, we're coming up on, we're coming up on nine years ago. Um, so I had, you know, I had life as a person with a disability. And slowly as I got out of school, I learned how to, you know, take what I had learned and become a better advocate for myself in small ways. But it wasn't until, really, until I got matched with Pico, where it became a more than more more than just about me. It was me navigating getting the world with a, uh, a service dog, and it became about how 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 do we do that safely? And one of the very first public pieces of advocacy that I did was taking on Petco which seems like eons ago now. Um, and that led to taking on other institutions, uh, you know, Uber and Lyft and Rideshare and 
the DC Metro system and just slowly kind of strengthening that muscle of advocacy against the backdrop of all my PR uh, education, communication, and, you know, then going on and, you know, becoming more of a, of a focus on looking at where the disability community has moved as things like the pandemic have shifted things um, and taking that advocacy into other forums. Uh, and as you noted, uh, my presence on LinkedIn and, and other you know, places that I've spoken, I've been fortunate, fortunate enough to be uh, involved in a lot of different organizations that have asked me to come and, and speak, um, including Diversibility, which was in, was that July already? Um, for Disability Employment Month, that panel? Um, or Octo October, I'm sorry. October, 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 October. Yeah, yeah, that was for Disability Employment. July would have been Disability Pride, but we're talking about the panel in October. So it's, it's been, you know, a, a progression, but it wasn't one, I don't think really that I, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but it wasn't something that I really set out to do. It was just small steps that led to, you know, the advocacy getting more and more attention in, in small ways. And this is the thing that I, you know, I think that if I could impart any wisdom on any advocates or future advocates or would-be advocates, it's, you know, I, for myself, I didn't set out to do and become this massive, not that I'm massive, no, that's not the right word, but I didn't set out to be a, a, a change maker the way that things have evolved, right? Oh, um, I, I'm, I'm curious, and I, I would think that uh, people listening to this or watching this, is advocacy like your primary source of income? And like, how, how did, or if it's not like how how did how did you how did you turn your advocacy into like into a income if that makes sense if that's how you make your so it's Everyone, kind of that's a, that's a that's a really big uh question like for somebody that wants to be an advocate especially in in this day and age with social media and influencers yeah. and all that stuff. And it's, you know, and like I said, that I think that's part of the biggest lesson that I've learned, right? So my primary, so this is an, it, to me, this is an, it's an interesting question to dissect. How I make my primary living is through my, through my work as a federal employee. However, if you look at my public profiles, if you look at my, my, you know, the things that I lead with publicly, my federal employment is secondary um, to the public advocacy that I, that I do. And that is largely by design. I am, people, we talk about, you know, um, identity, uh, you know, disability identity. That's what I lead with. Um, my disability. I am a just. I'm a disabled person and a disabled advocate first, and a federal employee and whatever whatever else second. That being said, that was a very recent shift in terms of what I chose to center, because I started intentionally focusing more on 
the advocacy, even though that's not the primary thing that pays my rent. And we can get into what we we could get into why that is, and the fact that disability advocates are often, um, or disability, you know, folks in general are, you know, struggling to find employment, keep employment, get equal employment, equity. Um, I don't. That, I kind of. I kind of want to touch on that because. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you. I don't know if you. Because uh, right now you are doing remote work, right? Yes. I don't know. I don't know if you've. Because I do remote work also. I don't know if you actually went to a physical location for a job, but I have, and it was so taxing on my on my body. Like not not the not the like not the like the work itself, but like actually like going to work, like the the like getting on the bus, going to work, like like by the time I made it to work, I already felt like so, you're already you're already exhausted, right? right? Yeah. So and can you talk and, about that. Oh no, and, and sure. There's um, you know, I live in in uh, DC, so we have the DC metro system, and even let's put the pandemic aside for a second. Let's go back to pre. Uh, hold on. I think I did. I lose you. I, I had to. I got a phone call, and I think I had to turn oh, the audio down. Dude. Okay, um, I was trying. I was trying to. I was trying to turn the uh, turn the phone off. I apologize. Um, uh, Pre-pandemic, I was going into the office, um, and that can be extremely taxing. And in, in fact, when I worked um, in downtown DC, that was about an hour commute um, at one time. And so, if any of the elevators ever broke. Right. Let's say there's eight elevators between my house and and my office, between the platforms and the transfers and this. And the, if any one of those breaks, my whole commute is shot. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to work, I always felt like, okay, I won the lottery. I got all the elevators to work. I'm there. My chair's there. My dog's okay. Right. And now you want me to actually do what now? My brain's already spent so much energy and getting like, there. And like you live like in a very like populated. Area like, um, but I in Texas, like the transportation system is like, is like almost non-existent. Like where, I, like, like um, I like it is it, it is it is like, especially where I've like live like Austin, Corpus, like all the bigger cities are 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 a little bit different. But like, um, I remember that like, I I would have like. I would have bus drivers just refuse, just refuse to stop because they saw me in a wheelchair and they knew that it would take at least like ten minutes for them to load me. And so, so they would just, they would just keep on going. And like, I lived like ten minutes away from my work, but it took me an hour to get there. Like, right. And and now, and now, like for the past eight years or so, I've lived by design. I've lived within rolling distance of my office. Now I haven't been there. Uh, physically, uh, since the pandemic. Uh, but should I need to go in, getting to the office is a lot less taxing because I'm, you know, I'm a 10 minute roll from there. Um, I was curious, um, did, uh, is your office strictly remote right now? Or did you kind of like negotiate that as part I, of- yeah. Um, so the, my office is 
um, as an agency, there you know we've had a, a leading telework program uh, since long before the pandemic, um, and I think it's largely dependent on which you know which part of my office you work for. Um, but the offices that I've been involved in since I've joined the agency have all been very good about remote work. Um, I have had to, you know, since the pandemic, I have had to um, file for RAs to get extensions on certain policies or, or um, not extensions, but uh, certain concessions in relation to the policies, which are already pretty good, but just to cover myself professionally, um, gotten some additional you know, coverage through RAs to make sure that there's no problems. But my office generally is very good about, hey, if you're if you're meeting your metrics and getting your job done, we really, it doesn't matter where you're located. Um, and in fact, I've had, um, I've actually had, you know, I've been approached by other agencies to come work for them since the pandemic started. And I've said to them, okay, but what's your telework situation? And for the ones who say, well, we're going to need you to come in three, four days a week, I've said, that's a non-starter for me. And it goes to exactly the point that you raised. So I may be, unfortunately, missing, missing out on growth potential with other agencies simply because I'm so uh, reliant, but also grateful for the flexibility of my current agency when it comes to telework. Um, and that, that brought up, uh, I just thought about something. Isn't it funny how it took a whole entire pandemic to, uh, to, to show, to show society that, that remote, that remote work is, that remote work is possible. And like, yep. the disability community has been kind of like asking for this. For like, Oh, it became, <laughs> it became, I mean, I remember back when I first started federal employment. It was a point of contention, me asking for telework when my wheelchair would break or when something would come up and they would say, yeah, but you're only authorized to telework, you know, maybe once a week and there'd be things that happen with my chair or my health. And I would say, I can still work, but I need to conserve some spoons. And they would get very um, uncomfortable with my request for extended telework. And so, yeah, I'm grateful the pandemic has, has made it more of a front and center conversation, but I get exacerbated that it took something this massive for that viewpoint to become uh, non-contentious. Because even now you have the people, you know, the pandemic's been raging for three plus years, and even now you have all these articles and companies that are saying, you know, we want you back in the office and we want to, and they're trying to reverse engineer. How do we get people back in the office after, after basically being shown that we don't have to and it's and the the power struggle between corporations and the workforce to come back into the office when there really isn't anything that necessitates that other than i don't know a power struggle or or ego on behalf of really high-powered ceos i don't know there's no need for it. Yeah, I, um, I totally agree. Like, I was so excited. Like, I, I the one, the one good thing about uh, the pandemic was all, all the remote work possibility. And then, like you said, like, uh, like three years into the pandemic, they, they we want you back at work now. So, like, they're slowly taking the remote, the remote work 
possibilities away. Like, so I, yeah. yeah and, it, it, and it reminds me of, it's, it's like this reverse engineering of it because when the pandemic first started, it was, I mean, I remember writing, I've written publicly about this, that prior to the, you know, the national emergency of the pandemic was declared in March, 2020. I had just come off of surgery in January of 2020 and had been sort of following uh, the, the, the track of the pandemic um, as it came to the U.S. And I said, I remember going in to my leadership and saying the pandemic uh, or this, this COVID uh, thing is coming here. It's on its way here. Uh, and I'm concerned as somebody who is uh, high risk and just had surgery and all these things. And I said, I need to extend my telework agreement right now for all these high risk reasons. And leadership said, okay, get a, get a doctor's note. So of course that means I had to go make an appointment. I get the scheduling. I, I jumped through all these hoops and then no sooner did I get that doctor's note. Uh, within two or three days, it was, oh, it's a national emergency now, so everybody can work from home. And if, it, But that just goes to the, the narrative and familiarity of a lot of disabled, disabled people where we say it matters to the masses when it matters to the masses. And if it's, if it's only us, and I say only, we're the largest minority, 20%, but when it's only the disability community that's fighting for something, the amount of interest the amount of urgency the amount of whatever you want to call it doesn't exist and so suddenly when it affects everybody then the policy shifts happen overnight exactly i agree with everything you with everything you um are saying and this is such a this is such a like we could we could talk for hours on this topic um but I like how we kind of started this. <laughs> we kind of started this episode lighthearted, and then we we got into the nitty gritty. It was like like uh, I like how the how how it really is when it comes to employment and things for uh, people with disabilities. Uh, I like to keep these episodes around thirty minutes because I don't know about you, but sp- talking for talking for a long time it kind of wears me out. So um. Ryan, do you have any like closing remarks or kind of like any like advice for uh for those watching this episode? Like, uh, two things I would say on it since we're focusing primarily on this episode is primarily um uh, about disability employment and how that's affected. Um, one is. And I, I've I've said this uh, a couple times uh, in the last few months, but it's something that I've I've started to live by. Uh, when you disclose to an employer that you have a disability, you are telling them one thing about you. And how that employer chooses to respond tells you everything you need to know about them. So it is an amazing um, it is an amazing sorting hat to use. And I encourage uh, folks, if they can, uh, if they're in a position to to disclose early and let the employer know. Uh, what they need, and, and especially if you're interviewing, right? Because if they're willing to work with you early on, uh, that's a good sign. And if they're not, you don't want to work for them anyway. Um, and and moving off of employment, the second thing I want to say is uh, uh, 
humor and disability go hand in hand, uh, at least for me. And it sounds like for you too, Whitney. So uh, I would venture to say that if you uh, talk to disabled people, um, we're probably some of the most humor-filled, humor-focused people because we are used to laughing at ourselves and are tripping over ourselves and our fault. Because if we don't, at least I speak for myself, but if I don't lean into it, um, then I feel like I'm missing a great opportunity to um, really... Um, yeah, what am I going to say with that? That I'm missing a, gr a great opportunity to just really... Um, appreciate all that's there there's a lot and and for me to fully uh you know like i guess i lean into it is a survival skill uh because the alternative is getting you know frustrated and angry and upset that my body doesn't work the way it's supposed to so i've learned to make fun of it and to the extent that that makes certain people uncomfortable well um that's a muscle they need to stretch too <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> totally um, where can people follow you on social media, Ryan? Well, I'm going to do my best to jump into 23 with um, some more awareness, but I think like you, I'm still kind of recovering from holidays. Uh, but eventually, when I start to do that more publicly, um, I am easily reachable in most places. LinkedIn um, is just, you know, Ryan Honick. Uh, Twitter has my middle initial, so Ryan L. Honick. And uh, what am I forgetting? Uh, I don't have... Oh, and, and Instagram is the same. So Ryan... Uh, Ryan Honig on Instagram as well. So, um, and if you miss any of that, my my website has center center uh, that centers all of that. So I'm easily reachable on there if people can learn about my work and my speaking engagements and things like that. Um, and I'll try to be as responsive as I can to any inquiries or folks who have questions about you know this episode or want to get in touch with my work. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you, Ryan. And for those of you watching, um. And you want to be on an episode, feel free to reach out to me. Like I said, like I mentioned in this episode, or I, I might have mentioned it before to, to Ryan before, but I'm trying to vamp up Spastic Chatter for 2023. I kind of took a break in 2022. So I am wanting to interview uh, everyone and anyone in the CP community. Um, and that, that could be if you have CP, if you... If you uh, work with individuals with a cerebral palsy, or if you have a if you have a business or a product that could benefit this community, please reach out to me. And again, Ryan, it uh, it was awesome to talk with you. And um, I will uh, please check back for another episode. And thanks. Bye. Thanks, Whitney. It's been great.